Well, let me uh, welcome you here to Big Valley Grace. Everybody hold up your Bibles. Everybody, everybody hold up your Bible. Let me see the word. Come on, come on. Let me see the word. Come and see the word. Put them up. Put, put them up. All right. One of, the, one of the reasons why I did that is because I see a lot of these. Right? <laughs> um, starting a series today. Calling, um, I've called it Reconnect. And one of the things that I know is true after 30, you know, plus years of being here at Big Valley Grace is that you can know Jesus Christ as your savior. You can be connected to the Lord and have seasons where you feel disconnected. You, you, you just, for whatever reason, go, man, you know what, man, I, I just don't feel close to God. I call it you're in a, in a spiritual slump. And those of you that are into sports, into baseball, you understand that term. You just, there's just something that will happen in your spiritual life down here on planet Earth. And one of the things I'm gonna be talking about, especially next weekend, is I'm gonna talk about how this little thing that you have in your pocket or your hands, I believe, is one of the great tools that Satan uses to disconnect you from the Lord. Now, it's a great tool, and it can be used for a lot of good things. Uh, I'm not telling anybody to give up their phone. You know, I, I got one. This is a great tool. It can be used for wonderful, wonderful things. We use it in some unbelievable ways to get out the gospel. It's a great tool. But I also know it can be used in ways that are really crummy. In fact, I have a Bible study on Tuesday and one of the guys was here last hour, one of them sitting right over here, and one of the things we've been doing is we've been talking about our phones. We've been talking about the impact that this has on our lives, positive and negative. We've, we've been dealing with the negative piece of it. And let me just give you one illustration. I'll talk more about this next week. You're sitting out here, God has brought you to this place, maybe because you're a follower of Christ, most of you are, and here you are, and it's this unique moment in history. There's nothing like this on the planet when God's people come together to worship, to sing songs together, to give together, to have communion together, to, to hear the proclamation of the word together. Unbelievably powerful moment in our lives. And you got here, and man, with the music got your eyes up into the heavenlies, the communion got your eyes up there, and some of you have this in your back pocket, and all of a sudden, and just the vibration takes you out of the moment. You haven't even looked at the phone yet. But the vibration has now taken you out of this moment, being present with the Lord, and now you're going. And you're thinking to yourself, oh, pray, Rick, pray. Because I, I can do this when you're praying. <laughs> oh, please pray because I don't want the guy next to me to think I'm, and I wasn't born yesterday. You know, do you realize that when you look at your phones, your face lights up? Do, 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 you, think, do you think I not get it? I don't get it? I'm sitting up here like a dumb guy. He, he doesn't know. 
as you're, as you're getting a tan, you know, and the third eye is growing. <laughs> and so here God has your attention in a very special way, in a very unique way. God is wanting to do a work in your life, a work in your marriage, a work in your family, whatever it might be, and all of a sudden, there's this buzz, and some of you, you know what you'll do? God's talking, and you're gonna look down and go, oh yeah. And, oh, you'll put it back away, but that one second disconnected you from what God's doing. And by the way, forget about what it might do to you and God. Just think about what it's doing to you and your family. You know, you, you have a conversation with your child who's sitting right next to you, you know, on the couch. And they're right there. Trying to have a meal, trying to enjoy a meal, trying to be together as a family. And it's amazing how these great tools, don't misunderstand me, are being used literally right now in this room, right now over in the venue, right now on, you know, some of you that are watching online, you won't be able to get through this service without going, okay, yeah, that's just preaching, that's just the word of God. I'm going to look at my phone because whoever just made my, you know, pants vibrate is certainly more important than hearing the proclamation of God's word. Isn't that a crazy thought? In fact, do you know that what happens is you can leave your phone at home or it's in your office or it's on your seat and you'd be walking around and they've come up with this term called phantom vibrations. You're walking around. <laughs> you don't even have your phone on you, but your leg's vibrating. You just, you just, your body just got used to this vibration and so you think it's vibrating. And you pull your phone out, oh, I guess it wasn't me. I'm only gonna take a couple of weeks to talk about this idea of how do we reconnect with God if you get into a spiritual slump. And we'll talk more about that next week, but to kick it off, I wanna talk about this idea that for some of you, it's not about reconnecting with God. You've never connected with God. You, you can't reconnect with God if you've never actually connected with him. And I think it's possible to come to a great church like this or a great church like Cross Point or a great church like, you know, Shelter Cove or a great church like Calvary Chapel or a great church like, you know, Mill Creek or a great church like, you know, uh, Sherwood Bible Church. A lot of great churches in our town. A lot of great churches. You, you can be a part of a great church and still not be connected to God at all, but think you are. You, you can raise your hands and sing kumbaya. You can throw money in the offering basket. You can hold the bread in the cup and enjoy that moment and still not be connected with God. But think you are. And so here's what I want to do. I think this story is going to help us. Okay, it's a great story, and I want to set it up a little bit. 
It's a story about Jesus and a man by the name of Nicodemus. And from all outward appearances, Nicodemus was a successful man. It seemed like him and God were tied. It seemed like they were connected. It seemed like they were okay with each other. It seemed like they had it you know, all together in terms of this relationship, especially spiritually. Nicodemus was at the top of the spiritual ladder. If he were sitting right here in our service today, there isn't anybody that would have questioned his commitment to God. He looked good, he wore the right clothes, he said all the right things. Nobody could pray like, like a Pharisee could pray. He knew all the right answers. He had the Bible memorized. He had all the right friends. He was at the pinnacle of his profession. He had reached all kinds of spiritual goals, yet, yet something wasn't right in his life. Something was bothering him at a, at a deep level. Something uh, was stirring, if you will, within his soul. Though he was a man at the top of the religious ladder, he recognized that something was wrong in his life spiritually. So he climbs down the ladder and begins a, a search, a search for truth. And that search is gonna bring him face to face with Jesus Christ. I have no doubt that on many occasions, Nicodemus would have been in the crowd of people as Jesus taught. I have no doubt that Nicodemus would have been in the crowd many times when Jesus did a miracle. And I have no doubt that there were many times he would make his way home, sit in his house, go to the local coffee shop, whatever it was, and he would just ponder the things that he heard Jesus teach on. He would just ponder the things that he saw, the miracles that he saw Jesus do. I want you to think back to what Mary did after the angel told her that she was gonna be the, the blessed one who would give birth to, to the Messiah. It says in Luke chapter two, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. And that's what Nicodemus is doing. He's pondering. He's treasuring up all of these things that he's heard Jesus say. Something's going on within the life of Nicodemus. I think there came a moment when he began to ask himself, am I missing something? In all the discussions that I've had with my friends and my teachers, my professors, you know, the other religious leaders, have I, have I missed something? In all my study of God's word, have I missed something? If I were to die tonight and stand before God, would he be pleased with how I've conducted my life? Is my relationship with God okay? Am I connected to God at all? And I think these are all good things for us to think about. I don't care how long you've walked with the Lord. The great apostle Paul wrote a letter to a church in Corinth. He, he, he writes this letter to people who were uh, members of the church. And listen to what he says, it's really interesting. He says, examine yourselves to see if your faith is genuine. This is written to a church. This was written to Big Valley Grace, you know. Calvary Chapel, First Baptist. This was written to the house, members of the church. 
And Paul was saying, hey, listen, church member, I want you to examine yourselves. I want to make, you need to make sure that your faith is, is genuine. You see, I think that the enemy is okay with you coming here and singing songs. I think he's okay with you giving money, you know, to the church. I think the enemy is okay with you serving somewhere in a band or, you know, in the ushers or greeters or mentoring teenagers. I think that the enemy is, is okay with you taking communion as long as you haven't given your life to Christ. There hasn't been a genuine moment of conversion. And I think Paul, in this text, he's worried about that. He's worried that people could be deceived, that they could come to church and, 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 and sit here and sing and do all the right things and serve at the Miracle League and do all these wonderful things, but in reality, they aren't really connected to God at all. It seems like they're connected. They may feel like they're connected. We may look at them and say, man, they've gotta be connected. But the reality is, they're not connected. And I think it's good that maybe right now in this moment you ask yourself, am I missing something? In all my discussions that I've had with my friends, the guys that I golf with, the people I play tennis with, my college professors, my neighbors, religious leaders, have I missed something? If I were to die tonight and stand before God, would, would he be pleased with how I've conducted my life? Is my relationship with God okay? Am I really connected to him? That's what Paul's getting at here in this text. Examine yourselves. He goes on and he says, test yourselves. Surely you know that Jesus Christ is among you. In other words, you know that if you truly know the Lord, he lives inside of you, which means there will be something by which you can judge yourself to go, I really am a believer. I think when you look at this meeting in John chapter three between Jesus and Nicodemus and what is said at this meeting, Jesus makes it crystal clear as to how you can really know whether you're genuinely connected to God or not. Maybe you're just super religious. Maybe you're just super pious. And so this is going to be, I think, an interesting moment for some of you, okay? So I wanna break down this conversation that Jesus has with Nicodemus, and, and I think when we're done, you'll, you'll know whether you really are connected with him at, at all. And the first thing is this, is you, you need to check your definition of okay. You need to make sure that your definition of okay and God's definition of okay is the same. That's an important thing to wrestle around with. Is God's definition of okay, we're okay, and my definition okay, are they the same? In John chapter one, or John chapter three, verse one, it says this, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish 
ruling counsel. When you study the New Testament, especially the four Gospels, you're introduced to these guys called the Pharisees. They were the religious leaders of the day. There were uh, never more than 6,000 of them at any one time in Israel, which means that Nicodemus was a part of a very select group. Each of them had taken a solemn vow before God and three witnesses to devote their entire life, every moment of every day, to keeping the Ten Commandments. This was their goal in life. This is how they defined spiritual success. This was how they determined if everything was okay between them and God. Now let me just tell you something. I'd wager that there ain't anybody in this room, anybody watching online, anybody over in the venue who today when you woke up said, okay God, here's the deal. Today I wanna make sure I don't break any of the 10 commandments. God, no matter what, when you're eating your breakfast, you ran through the Ten Commandments and said to yourself, I don't want to violate any of those, God. When you had your lunch, man, God, I don't want to violate any of the Ten Commandments. In fact, unfortunately, in the American church today, probably most of you in this room couldn't rattle off but maybe three of the Ten Commandments. You don't even know all ten, let alone say, hey, God, I I I just want to try to follow those Ten Commandments. Commandments. And by the way, they did a great job at it, the Pharisees. But he was also, Nicodemus was also a member of what was called the Sanhedrin, which was a select group of about 70 men who ran the religious affairs of Israel. Nicodemus had spiritual authority over every Jewish man on the planet. That's a lot of power, isn't it? But there's more. In verse 10, Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. When Nicodemus said something or wrote something and was quoted by all the other rabbis, his opinion swayed others. He had the position of being the the person that all the Jews looked to as the top authority, the the top teacher of the law, the top teacher of the word of God, if you will. He he was the, the senior pastor of Israel. So we've cut him down from 6,000 to 70 to one. This man was one of the most important, most influential men in all of the nation of Israel at the time. He was at the top religiously, morally, politically, and socially, he had it all. By by the world's standards, he was tight with God, he was connected to God. By, By all outward appearances, the relationship between Nicodemus and God wasn't just okay, it was fantastic. But as I said earlier, something was terribly wrong inside of his soul. I believe the teachings of Jesus had begun to rattle his cage. Something's going on. I thought back to um, my time before I knew the Lord and my sister was sitting right up there last hour and I used to be in the jewelry business and our first store was on uh, Yosemite Boulevard. 
And I used to go to church and I would hear Bill North Telfer at Modesto Covenant, you know, preach and it didn't do a thing to me. I used to hear Jaeger teach down at First Baptist, didn't do a thing to me. I just walk out and go do whatever I wanted to do. But there came a moment when something began to happen in my life. There, there, there came a moment, I, I think much like Nicodemus, where all of a sudden, wait a minute, what? Huh? What's going on? And my sister was up there, as I said, uh, last hour, and I would, um, at lunch, I, I would leave the, the jewelry store, I'd swing by Eddie's Meat Market, some of you remember that, and I'd pick up a sandwich, I'd make my way over to Graceda Park, and I would literally just read, through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then I'd start over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then I'd start over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, then I'd start over again. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And there was just this, this idea that, whoa, wait a minute. Man, Jesus is, he's like really different. He's cool. I like this guy. Man, I, I like the things that he's for. I like the things that he's against. Man, if he was around today, I'd follow this guy. He's cool, he's hip, I like him. You see, there was a moment when all of a sudden the teachings of Christ began to kind of rattle my cage. Something began to happen in my life. It's one of the great mysteries of the faith when God begins to open the eyes of a sinful person and he begins to draw you to himself. And I think that's what's happening here with Nicodemus. I think Nicodemus was beginning to question whether he really knew God or not. I believe he began to wonder if he and God really were okay. While his fellow Pharisees were putting Jesus down, Nicodemus knew that there was something different about him. Jesus didn't care about, you know, the Pharisees' rules and regulations. He, he didn't do life the way the religious leaders thought it should be done. He didn't dress the way other rabbis, you know, dressed. He didn't teach the way other rabbis taught. Jesus was really different. And so Nicodemus does something that shows just how smart and wise he is. He's gonna do something that we all need to uh, learn from. And this is the, the second point I want to make. If you want to make sure that you and God are okay, you need to make an appointment with Jesus and ask him. Look at verse two. He, that's Nicodemus, came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God was not with him. This verse right here tells you just how smart and wise Nicodemus was. He knows that something is wrong in his life. He's beginning to think that maybe he and God aren't on the same page. Maybe they're not as connected as he thought they were. So instead of listening to, to, to all of his buddies, instead of listening to what his foursome says about God, instead of listening to what his college professors had to think, instead of listening to what his parents thought or anybody else, he makes the decision to go right to the man himself. 
He makes an appointment with Jesus. Listen, everybody here in the venue watching online, listening on the radio or whatever, needs to follow Nicodemus' example. You need to make regular appointments with Jesus to talk over the issues of your life, to talk over the issues of your family or your business or whatever. If morning works best, great. If the lunch hour works better, super. If it's night that works best, go for it. A lot of people make a big deal about the time of this meeting that it happened at night. Who cares when the meeting was? The important thing is, is that there was a meeting. I don't care when you meet with Jesus. The important thing is, just meet with him. Just meet with him. I personally think the reason why the meeting happened at night was maybe Nicodemus, you know, had to work. So it was the best time. Maybe Nicodemus just wanted some uninterrupted time. He knew Jesus was kind of a rock star and they'd all, you know, people would come up and ask for his autograph and he just wanted some time alone with him where he could talk, hear answers, dialogue. That's all he wanted. He just wanted to talk with this man. And all of us need to do that. In fact, when you look at the life of Jesus, it was really important that he set up regular appointments with the Father. He scheduled times when he would go speak to the Father. And if Jesus, the second person of the Holy Trinity, thought it was important to have a regular appointment with the Father, it's probably important for us, right? I wonder, how many of you, if you were to take out, whether you use um, you know, a book, I'm old school, I, I don't use my phone or anything like that, but you actually have written in an appointment with Jesus. You wrote it in. Maybe it's in your phone. You wrote it in your phone. You see, you'll write in your phone or your day timer or whatever it is, an appointment to meet with another sinful person for lunch or for dinner or whatever it might be. But isn't it weird how we literally will not write into our phones or whatever it is we track our schedules with an appointment with the Son of God? We just, well, you know, I just, I'll just, it'll just happen. And for some of you, it hasn't happened in weeks or months or decades. Where you, you, you put the appointment down and you do it like Nicodemus did it, where there's not going to be anything that will distract you. <sighs> where you just get to be with Jesus, where you can discuss some of the things about your life. Some of you need to get together with Jesus and, and just ask, hey, are there things happening to me that I'm not aware of? I know you can spot what's happening in your spouse's life. You're very aware of all the crummy things that are going on in your kids' lives or your grandkids' lives, your spouse's life. 
But could it be, and I know some of you think I'm an idiot, that maybe there's something in your life that needs to be discussed. Well, pastor, obviously you don't know me. <laughs> Let me tell you something. It's a great moment to say, God, here I am. Talk to me about me. I can spot the crud in somebody else's life at 100 paces. I'm good at that. I, 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 gotta, I have like a radar. I can see your junk man coming from down the hallway. But man, it's a hard thing to do this with the radar. Pointed at you. I think Nicodemus had the radar pointed at himself. I think another great question to ask Jesus is, Jesus, am I on the right track? If I allowed some things to crowd into my life that are good things, but really aren't the best things? Jesus, what do I need to do to be okay with you? I don't care whether you've walked with God for 20 or 30 or 40 years, because like Nicodemus, maybe the ladder that you've been climbing is on the wrong wall. And you've been working really hard to do all these things, but the reality is, you know what? You really never have connected with God. Maybe you and God aren't okay. Now obviously when we meet with Jesus, it'll be different than when Nicodemus met with Jesus. They met face to face, but the Bible does say in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is inspired by God, it's God breathed, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. The word of God corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, the word of God, to prepare us, equip us to do all the things that God wants us to do. So when you schedule your appointment with Jesus, obviously you gotta take this with you. This is where you actually hear the, the real voice of God, right here, it's this book. Th th this is, this is what, what you take with you. You wanna hear God speak to you just like Jesus is gonna speak to Nicodemus, and we'll see this in a moment, you gotta have this. This is the actual voice of, of God to you. Now I want you to look at verse two again. It says, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can perform the miraculous signs that you were doing if God was not with him. And there are two things that Jesus does that I think are kind of fascinating. Nicodemus makes this nice little statement and, uh, about how cool Jesus is and what a great teacher he is. You know, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God and nobody can perform these miraculous signs that you're doing unless God was with him. And Jesus basically just cuts him off. Jesus doesn't even answer the guy's questions. He doesn't even comment about whatever it is he's saying. Verse three says, I tell you, 
the truth, Nicodemus. Unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. It's almost like blah, 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 blah. And Jesus goes, hey! My time's valuable. You made an appointment with me. I know what's going on inside your heart. I don't need you to make me feel good with all this, you know, you're a teacher from God. Man, your miracles are unbelievable. Let me just cut to the chase here. You gotta be born again. It's one of the beautiful things about Jesus. When you make your appointment with him, he'll cut to the chase of your life. He'll get there. Now you may not like what you hear. Some people love their sin. Some people love the darkness, they love it. But Jesus will always cut right to the chase. The second thing that Jesus does, and this was absolutely critical, Jesus changes the pronouns immediately. Nicodemus comes and says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, and Jesus changes the pronouns from we to you. I tell you, I don't care about what everybody else thinks. All your little Pharisee buddies, the other 5,999 of them, the other Sanhedrin, the other 69 of them, I don't care what they think. I want you to understand something. Here's the deal, Jesus doesn't care about what everybody else thinks about him, but he does care about what you think about him. That's the bottom line. Look, hey, your mom and dad may love Jesus and they may be connected to Jesus. Great, what about you? You know, all your buddies may go to church and they may be connected to God, they, they, they know Christ. That's great, what about you? You may have a bunch of friends who, you know what, they really don't care that much about Christ. You can tell by their lifestyle about the things that are important to them. Who, what, what about you? Man, all my professors say that Jesus was, you know, stupid and religion's dumb and all that. Okay, that's all good and well, but what about you? What do you think? What do you think? Jesus looks at Nicodemus and starts to talk to him about his life. Jesus didn't want to talk about his buddies' lives. Jesus wanted to talk to Nicodemus about his life. When you make an appointment with him, realize that's a moment where Jesus wants to talk to you about your life. What's happening in your life? Oh, you may get around to talking about your family and all those other things. I think Jesus likes to talk about those things. But he's interested in you, talking to you about your life. Nicodemus makes an appointment with Jesus and immediately Jesus answers the most important question anybody could ever ask. How do you get into God's kingdom? How can you be sure that God and you are okay? How does a person connect with God? And the answer is you make sure you're born again, which brings me to the third point. 
we want to make sure that you and God are okay, make sure you're born again. Once again, verse three, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. This might be the most profound thing that Jesus ever said. This is the, the wall your ladder needs to be against. Jesus makes it crystal clear what pleases God. Jesus makes it crystal clear what spiritual success is. If you wanna be okay with God, if you wanna truly be connected to God, you must be born again. What connects you to God isn't being here today. What connects you to God isn't giving an offering. What connects you to God isn't going on a missions trip. What connects you to God isn't serving in the choir or the band. Those are all good things. God wants you to do those things. But that is not what connects you to God. Connecting to God has really nothing to do with all the verses you may have memorized. Nicodemus had the entire Old Testament law memorized. Every Pharisee had the entire Old Testament memorized. But he wasn't connected to God. Hey, memorizing scripture is an important thing. Spent Six weeks talking about it a while back. But the thing that connects you to God is being born again. There has to be this, this moment. You see, in Genesis chapter three, we all died spiritually. We all came out of the womb. We were all born physically, but we came into the world dead to God because of sin. And there has to be a moment when you're born again spiritually. There has to come a moment when you recognize who you are in comparison to God. You recognize that your sin had separated you from God. You recognize that the only way your sins can be forgiven is that you repent of your sins and give your life to God. You surrender your life over to him. You make him the CEO of your life. You say, God, you're the king, which makes me but your subject. And at that moment, when you repent of your sin and give your life to Christ, at that moment, something Amazing happened. The greatest miracle ever happens. You go from being a, a, a sinner headed for a Christless eternity to being a saint who will spend your eternity with Jesus Christ because you've been born again. You were born into God's family. At that moment, you become a child of God at that moment. That's how you and God make amends. That's how you know you and God are okay with one another. I have no doubt that these 18 words just blew Nicodemus out of the water. I mean, here's this unbelievably 
powerful Jewish man. He was a Pharisee. He was the teacher of, 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 of Israel. He was at the top of the food chain in terms of importance. Nicodemus easily could have thought of, wait a minute, Jesus, the Romans might need to be born again, but not me. I'm a Jew. And not only am I a Jew, but I'm the most religious man on the planet. I keep more rules and regulations than anybody. I have more verses memorized in the Bible than anybody. But Jesus said, Mr. Pharisee, Mr. Sanhedrin, Mr. Teacher of Israel, you must be born again. That's your problem. That's it. Romans chapter 5 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the deal. You don't make peace with God by doing something. You don't make peace with God by being something. You make peace with God only one way. And that's by being born again. That's by surrendering your life over to Jesus Christ, by repenting of your sin. Some of you, I think, believe, maybe like Nicodemus believed, that you can please God or be connected to God by living by some code of conduct. You know, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't have a TV in my house, I don't listen to the radio, I don't go to movies, I don't play with cards, you know. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Or you have a list of all the things that you do do. I go to church, I give an offering, I play in the band, I serve at Love Modesto. But beloved, here's the deal. All of the don'ts or all of the do's don't make everything right between you and God. You can't earn peace with God. It's simply an act of faith. You make peace with God when you put your trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ. Being born again isn't something you simply add to your life. Being born again is a totally new thing that has to happen in your life. When you genuinely surrender your life over to Christ, when it's this moment of true repentance, where you say, God, I'm living my life just sinfully. I'm living in darkness and I'm gonna repent, I'm gonna turn. You know what the beautiful thing about the word repentance is? Is that when you turn from your sin, you turn to something. And that something is a somebody. And it's Jesus. You say, God, I'm no longer going to live this way. I'm repenting. And there is the face of Christ. Who loves you and cares about you deeply. And he becomes the king of your life. And you just simply bow to him. And you say, I'm but your servant. It's your servant, Jesus. Whatever you want from my life is yours. Whatever it is. Do you know what they call a person who simply adds things or does things that they believe will make them right with God? Religious. That was Nicodemus's problem. He was a religious man. But the only thing that would solve the turmoil in Nicodemus's heart wasn't a religion, it was a relationship with Christ. 
One day, some people in a crowd asked Jesus a pretty important question. In John chapter six, it says, what must we do, Jesus, to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, that you become a member of Big Valley Grace. <laughs> Here's the work, you know, bring an offering. Here's the work, dress a certain way, speak a certain way. Here's the work, serve somewhere, go on a missions trip. Those are all good things. But Jesus said, here's the work, here it is. The work of God is this, is you believe in the one who he has sent. And who did God send? Jesus that you recognize that Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Savior. Jesus was the only one who could forgive you of your sins. He was the King. And you repent of your sin and give your life over to him. John Wesley, who was a great preacher, said that his favorite passage to talk about was, you must be born again. In fact, everywhere he went, this is what he taught. He taught this passage right here, you must be born again. Well, one day, a news reporter asked him, Wesley, why, why is it that you always preach on this passage, you must be born again? And Wesley answered, well, because you must be born again. <laughs> There's nothing else in life that can make everything okay between you and God. There's nothing else that connects you with God than being born again. Here's the deal. Last night, last hour, uh, we had a lot of people go into the altar room. And here, here's the thing. Maybe, and it's a real mystery. I don't understand how it all works. But the Bible says that nobody seeks after God. Nobody. The Bible says that unless God draw a man to himself, they're just lost forever. But there comes this interesting moment when God begins to open the eyes of people, just like he did Nicodemus. And God begins to draw you to himself. All of a sudden, like Nicodemus, something starts to stir in your heart. And here's the deal, if you're here and you'd like to know more about Christ or maybe you'd like to give your life to him, you'd like to repent of your sin and, and walk out of here a, a new person, born again, you can go into the altar room over in the venue, we have an altar room. If you're watching online, you can call the church. And one of our pastors, one of our spiritual leaders would love to pray for you and pray with you that you could know for a fact that everything is okay between you and God. We've had people going to the altar room last night and last hour who were people who have been a part of this church for a long, long time. And all of a sudden they examined their lives and went, whoa, wait a minute. I've never really repented of my sin. I've never given my life to Christ. Maybe, maybe that's you. Now let me just tell you how the story ends real quick, okay? What happened to uh, Nicodemus? Well, John chapter 19, Jesus is now dead on the cross, and it says, afterward, 
after Jesus died, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, I'm sure Nicodemus was one of them, asked Pilate for permission to take down the body of Jesus. When Pilate gave permission, Joseph of Arimathea came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body in the spices and in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover and since the tomb was so close at hand, they, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, put Jesus in the tomb. So we're first introduced to this man in John chapter three. Something's going on in his life. He's all goofed up, man. He's just trying to figure out some things. And Jesus says, you must be born again. And now, there he is. Got 75 pounds worth of aloes and stuff. He doesn't care what all of his buddies think. He doesn't care what the other 5,999 religious leaders think. He doesn't care what the other 69 Sanhedrin think. He doesn't care about any of that. He's been born again. He's given his life to this man who came and died for him. He gets it. And I guarantee you, you read that, um, he lost his membership at the country club. He was no longer invited to all the right parties, I guarantee it. His foursome of the golf, you know, his little golfing group, they found another guy to take over. It costs you something when you give your life over to Christ and you're born again. It, there, there's a cost. But when you're truly born again, just like with Joseph of Arimathea, there comes a moment where you go, you know what? I do not care what anybody else thinks. I'm gonna live my life out in the open as a follower of Jesus Christ. The last thing on your little note sheet is this. Are, are you and God okay? And this is just a moment for you just to wrestle around with this. Are you and God okay? Have you been born again? And if you're looking at that and you're going, no, I haven't, but I know I need to be going to the altar and let us talk with you, okay? Everybody in the venue wanted to stand. Everybody in here stand. Close your eyes. Let me pray. Don't forget to go out to the, um, out and see Mika if you want to be a, a blessing to the, to the Miracle League, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had to be together. I'm thankful for Man, the singing and the communion, and I'm thankful for the giving. I'm thankful for the proclamation of your word. Thank you, God, for your goodness to us. Lord, we're thankful that you opened our eyes to the truth and that we can stand here knowing that we're okay because we've been born again. I pray for those that have a stirring in their heart like Nicodemus, Lord, may they make their way into the altar room and may they settle that issue today before they leave here, God. 
And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Hey, Lord bless you.